Heavenly Father, your statutes are forever right. And so we ask that you would send your spirit amongst us this morning and give us a right understanding of your statutes that are forever right, so that we may live according to them. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, we are closing the book of Colossians together in my sermon series today. And at the end of this book, we've had so many great instructions uh, from the Apostle Paul, different commands that he's been given. I have told you again and again that the earlier part of the book talks about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that he is the one who has cancelled the written code. Uh, He is the one who has forgiven us of our sins. The debt is taken away. And then in chapter 3 and 4, primarily, we start to get these commands because of what God God has done, we are meant to then do particular things. God acts, we listen, and then we act in response to the actions of God. And this section at the end here, verses 7 through to 18, really are uh, what we would see in in normal letters that would be communicated with others. We see these greetings that are given uh, to people within the church from the Apostle Paul, and there's also mention of Paul's friends who are with him. He mentions a couple of different names of people who he expects that the people in the church would know somewhat or will know if they are visited by these friends. And so we see all these different friends mentioned. In verse 7, you see Tychicus, who is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. You see Onesimus mentioned. Uh, he is in verse 9. He is, uh, Onesimus is the faithful and dear brother who is one of the Colossians, so he was originally from Colossae. And if you want to know more about Onesimus, you may think that name's familiar. The book of Philemon is all about Onesimus, this runaway slave. And it's a wonderful, it's just one chapter in the Bible. Uh, It's a wonderful little book. And so I encourage you to look up Onesimus and find out more about him in the book of Philemon. Uh, Also, Aristarchus is there. And Mark gets a mention in verse 10. Mark, of course, is the cousin of Barnabas, we find out here, which helps us to understand the sharp disagreement that took place between Paul and Barnabas at one point over this person, Mark. But it's interesting here that Mark is uh, welcome to Paul and Paul wants to make sure that he is welcomed by the Colossians. Also in verse 11, you see Justice mentioned, uh, also known as Jesus. Epaphras is in verse 12, and Luke uh, in verse 14. Luke, of course, is the one who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he was a great companion of the Apostle Paul. And Demas gets a mention in verse 14 as well, and sadly, we find out in another part of the Bible that Demas walks away from the Lord. And so there's a great lesson to learn from uh, even this person here mentioned in Colossians, that here he was welcomed by the Apostle Paul, but later on we find out that he loved the world and walked away. And uh, so a great warning to us. But this morning I thought I'd just concentrate on one of these as we conclude the book together, and that is the person who I think stands out to most of us, and if you've heard of one of these different people that is mentioned here besides Onesimus and Luke, uh, it would be, oh, and Mark, uh, it would be uh, Epaphras in verse 12. That's the person I want to concentrate on this morning, is Epaphras, because I think we can learn a lot from Epaphras about the subject of prayer. And prayer, of course, if you're a Christian, you recognise is a very important part of the Christian life. So what can we learn from Epaphras about prayer? Well, I think one of the main things that we can learn from Epaphras about prayer is how we should view prayer, how we should view prayer. What was prayer for Epaphras? It was work. He considered prayer to be work. We see that he was a worker himself by his job title in verse 12. Look with me at verse 12 of Colossians chapter 4. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus. He's not described as a loafer of Christ Jesus. He can lie around and do whatever he likes because it's all by grace that we're being saved and it doesn't matter what I do. No, he's a servant. He's a slave of Christ Jesus. It's built into his job description of who he is. He's a worker. And what is the work that Epaphras engages in? Well, we read in verse 12. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He has work to do, prayer work. And how is the work described? Is it easy work that he just goes along and floats along with the work? No. For him, prayer is wrestling work. We see that in verse 12. He is always wrestling in prayer. Another way you could describe that is agonizing in prayer. You could translate it. It is a word that we, in our English language, we get from the Greek word there, agony. And it's a word that we understand was agonizing uh, for others where it's used. We look at uh, the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that being in anguish or agony... The same Greek word. What was Jesus doing in Luke 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane that he was in agony with? Verse, 22, uh, verse 44 of Luke 22. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Epaphras is really just following in the footsteps of someone else who considered work, uh, prayer to be work, agonizing work. And that is the Lord Jesus. Epaphras was one who agonized in prayer. He wrestled in prayer. And in verse 13, we read how he worked as well, how his work is described. Verse 13, it says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, how is he working hard for these people if he's distant from them? Yes, it appears that Epaphras was the one who they knew the gospel through. He was the one who helped plant the church there. But now he's distant from them. How is he going to be working hard for them? Well, it's by praying for them, by doing the hard work of prayer. And it is hard work. This word here, translated as uh, hard in verse 13, doesn't, I think, really do it justice in the New International Version. Because that word pain... Uh, that's translated as, sorry, translated as hard there, is really a word that we translate in other places as pain. It's only used a few times in the New Testament, and it's used uh, twice in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 16, verse 10, it says, in relation to the pain that is coming upon uh, people because of the wrath of God, it says, men gnawed their tongues in agony or pain. That's the type of pain that Epaphras is in when he's working. It's the type of pain that causes people to gnaw their tongues in agony in Revelation chapter 16, verse 10. So this is hard work for Epaphras. When he prays, it's painful work. And it's not just Epaphras who considered prayer to be painful work. We see again and again in the Bible that people agonize in prayer. Lord Jesus, of course, an example that I just drew upon, but you see it in the Old Testament as well, that passage that we heard read for us before from Ezra chapter 9, where we see Ezra, he's appalled by the sins of the Israelites, and we see this lengthy, agonized prayer of Ezra as he comes before God and confesses the sins of the Israelites and is appalled himself at what the Israelites have done, and begs for mercy from God. Was Ezra just having a fine old time lying on the ground praying to God? 
No, he was in agony. Prayer was hard work for him. Another example that you could look at in the Old Testament, of course, is Abraham as he intercedes on behalf of Sodom. He knows that the wrath of God is coming upon Sodom, but he's concerned for his nephew Lot in that city in Genesis chapter 18. And he comes before God and he begs again and again that the Lord would extend mercy to Sodom. Do you think it was easy for Abraham to do that? No, it was hard work for Abraham to beg God for mercy for his nephew and that town. And so I think we can learn from Epaphras and, of course, other parts of the Bible, but primarily we're looking at Epaphras today, that we need to view prayer as work as well. If we view prayer as work, I think that we will pray more and we will pray better before God. How is that going to take place? How does a work mindset help us? Well, firstly, I think it will change our motivation for prayer. Our motivation for prayer will change. Sadly, I think we have the same attitude towards prayer that we often have towards entertainment. What's our motivation for entertainment? Well, it's feelings. If I feel like watching a movie, I'll watch a movie. If I don't feel like watching a movie, I won't watch a movie. And if I start a movie and I just don't feel like this is really gripping me, I'm not interested in it, what do we do? We turn it off. It's all based on our feelings when it comes to entertainment. And so the outcome when it comes to uh, the reason why, the motivation we have for entertainment is the experience itself rather than the outcome of the act of entertaining ourselves. And if we view prayer like entertainment, what happens? Well, it's based on feelings again, isn't it? If we don't feel like praying, we don't pray. And if we start praying and don't feel it, this isn't enjoyable for me, what do we do? We stop praying. Because it's all about the experience of prayer in itself. And so we're basing our prayer time, the motivation for our prayer, upon feelings. Whereas if the motivation is work... If we think of it as work, if we think of prayer as work, the motivation changes. Why? What's the motivation for work? Well, it's enjoying the benefit for you and others. Why do you work? Why do you do the work that you do with your days, day in, day out? Well, it's because you want benefit from your labours and you want the labour that you do to also benefit others. Now, it's nice if you do enjoy your job. But even those who enjoy their job, if you speak to them, a lot of them would like to retire early if they could. They like their job, but still, yeah, I'd like to retire early and not have to do anything for a time. And I can just enjoy my life and enjoy the entertainment that I can thrust upon myself. Whereas we recognise that our motivation for work is generally about the outcome. What we will get, whether it be material wealth or it's also often caught up with the benefit that we show to others. We want happy customers. We want people to benefit from our labours, not just us. And this is taught in the New Testament as well. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need, that he's actually even able to not just benefit himself, benefit people by doing the job, but even give away from the prosperity that he enjoys from his work. And with the right motivation then of an outcome, people will put up with the most agonising types of jobs. 
They will do things that no one would call entertainment. But they will do them because of the reward that comes at the end of the job. And if we then view prayer as work, what changes? Well, the motivation changes. We're seeking the benefit of prayer, not the experience itself of prayer. And what is the benefit of prayer? Why do we pray? What is the outcome that we're looking for in prayer? Well, there's many given in the Bible, but there's one given for us in verse 12. Verse 12, why is Epaphras praying? What's the outcome that he's after as he agonizingly prays? He's, he wrestles in prayer. We read it in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, and here we go, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras views prayer as work, and therefore he perseveres through agonizing prayer so that people will stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What does it mean when it says the will of God there? Well, we understand in the Bible that there's two wills of God. There's the hidden will of God, his decretive will by which he governs all things. The fact that you are here this morning shows that he willed for you to come this morning. If he did not will for you to come this morning, then you would not be here at all. But then there's also the revealed will of God, where he reveals to you what he would have you do. And this is the commandments that are given in the Bible. There's more and more uh, laws that are uh, put upon us as his people, that we're meant to keep as his people, and they are the revealed will of God for you. Does God uh, reveal, uh, he reveals to us whether you're meant to steal or not steal. His revealed will is don't steal. He reveals to you whether you're to lie or not lie. His revealed will to you is don't lie. And that's what Epaphras is praying for, that people will understand the will of God and stand firm in it, mature and fully assured. I think it's important to have this fully assured noted there as he prays for the Colossian people. Because what have we seen with the Colossian people when we looked at chapter 2, particularly of Colossians? We saw that the Colossians were confused, that they had these false teachers come in, and they were teaching them about diets and days, remember? And they were confused as to what they should do in regards to eating and what days to observe. They're not fully assured about God's will as these false teachers came in. And so Epaphras is wrestling in prayer that they would not just know the will of God, but be fully assured that it is the right thing to do. So Epaphras is focused on this outcome, not the experience itself. He's not enjoying, praying, agonizingly, painfully. No, he's focused on the fact that if I focus my time in prayer, if I treat prayer as work, then people will be mature and fully assured and standing firm, therefore, in the will of God. And so we, too, should be doing the same. We should be treating prayer as work. Focus, then, on the outcome that we want people to be mature in the will of God and fully assured in the will of God, standing in the will of God, we're not looking for the experience itself to be this wonderful, bright experience, enjoyable. No, we recognize prayer is work, hard work. And therefore, we do it not because of the painful experience that we're some sort of masochist that we like the pain. No, we are focused on what will come out of it, just like we would work very hard in other industries based on the outcome that will be there if we persevere. But secondly, 
I think if we view prayer as work, it also helps with the timing of prayer, the timing of prayer. It will change the attitude by which you time your prayers if you view it as work. When it comes to your work, what do you do when it comes to your work? How do you time your work? Well, you schedule set times for your work, don't you? You schedule work into your calendar. You don't just say, oh, I'll work whenever I feel like it. No, you schedule it into your days. Hopefully you have a diary and a calendar and you actually get them out and you schedule people in based on your work practices. Well, it should be the same with prayer. If prayer is work, then we should be scheduling it in. We should be scheduling it into our day days. We should be scheduling it onto our calendars, into our diaries. We know that it's work that we are called to do as servants of God. And so therefore, if we just leave it for whenever we feel like it, like we do with entertainment, we know that it won't get done, just like if we were to do that with our other work. But if we view prayer as work, we then will set times for it. And also we'll pray outside of those set times. You'll have a particular time each day that you set. That will be my prayer time where I'll speak to the Lord and pray for people, pray for that people will be more mature in Christ Jesus and in his will. But we're also outside of those times, those set times, we will pray as well because that's what a good worker does. If you have someone who works for you and you say, I'll pay you from nine to five to do particular work and then 501 comes around and you say, oh, could you just do that, clock that door before you go? And they say, ah, ah, ah. It's 5.01. I'm not doing anything for you now. My pay stopped a minute ago. That's not a worker that you want. That's not a good worker, is it? And that's how we are as Christians. If we view prayer as work and we are good workers, we don't just have a set time for prayer and we say, okay, I gave you an hour this morning, uh, Jesus. I gave you an hour and anything else that comes up in the day, I'm going, and I think, oh, I should really pray about that. I'll push it over to the next day for that hour. No, as a good little worker, you're on call. And so, of course, when something comes up and you know that prayer is needed about it, you say, this is work. It's painful work. Yes, I could be doing something else, but I'll get to it and I will pray. And if we view prayer as work, it doesn't just change the way that we set times for it, that we pray outside of those set times. It also shows that we should view prayer as something we do regularly. When it comes to your work, isn't it regular? You don't work irregularly. You work, you work regularly. And that's what's taught to us even in this text. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is wrestling in prayer for you. No. What's the word before that? He is always wrestling in prayer for you. He is always at work. And that's the attitude that we should have towards work, uh, the work of prayer as well. Just as it is odd if you are young and fit and don't work, if you go somewhere and you're young and you're able-bodied, people generally will ask you, so what do you do with yourself? It's a reasonable assumption that you are engaged in some sort of work. And it should be for the Christian as well when it comes to the work of prayer. We as Christians are always young enough and able enough for prayer right up to the grave. You never get retirement from prayer. It is a work that continues to the grave. As long as you can think, you can pray. And if we view prayer as work, 
then we will keep at it, always, right up to the grave. We will set it for, times for it on our calendar, we will do prayer outside of those set times, and we will keep on doing it for the rest of our lives. So, if we view prayer as work, it changes our motivation for it, it changes our timing of prayer, but it also, a work mindset towards prayer, changes the way that we prepare for prayer, the way that we prepare. Our preparation for prayer will change as well. How does a work mindset change our preparation for prayer? Well, I think it's by the use of lists, by the use of lists. Not lisps, lists. When it comes to work, lists are invaluable. When it comes to entertainment, we don't usually use lists, do you? What do you do if you want to watch TV? You sit down on the couch, you turn it on, and you see what's on. These days, you have much more, many more options if you've got some sort of subscribed uh, online service, but you still just sort of flick through. What have I got? Some of you may be a bit more organised and have a list of movies that you want to watch. And so when you get there, you turn it on and you say, this is my next one that I'm going to watch. But most of us sort of get there and sort of, oh, do I want to watch a thriller? Do I want to watch comedy? Do I want to watch a romantic comedy? What am I really into at this moment? And it just sort of goes with the flow. When it comes to work... We love lists, don't we? We use lists. Workplaces thrive on lists. If you don't have a list, you may forget to call a client, file your tax return, order more cupcakes to then sell to customers. If you don't have lists of what you're supposed to do, you forget to do things. And I think it's the same when it comes to prayer. Prayer lists remind us of what we should be praying for and also who we should be praying for. When it comes to what we should be praying for, you may say, oh, what should I be praying for when I come to prayer? Well, that's where we get ideas from the scriptures. And of course, even the Lord's Prayer, if you look at the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives, it really is a list of things that the Lord Jesus thinks you should be including in your prayer time. His disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray, and he gave them the Lord's Prayer. Does he mean that you just rattle it off? Or does he say, these are the principles that you should be including in your prayers? Not just rattling them off, but thinking about each line and thinking, how can I even expand on that in my prayer? And then, of course, who we should be praying for. Lists are invaluable for those as well. Who should we be praying for? Well, we should be praying for family. We should be praying for churches. We should be praying for friends. We should be praying for neighbours, for our government, for our country and other countries, for missionaries. And I think Epaphras is an example of that for us as well. Epaphras prayed for the Colossians. Why did he pray for the Colossian people? Well, we read in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you? He felt an obligation to pray for them because he's actually from that city. And he was one of them in the way that he was a Christian and they became Christians as a part of his ministry. They learned the gospel from Epaphras. And so he felt an obligation to pray for them. Even though he was out of town, he still prayed for them. But did he just pray for the Colossians? What do we read in verse 13? Paul says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. He's also praying for other towns. Now, he may have had contact with those towns and so that's why he's interested in them or it may have just been the close proximity to Colossae that he's interested in those towns and praying for them as well. We don't know all the details, but here we see that he had on his list the Colossian church and he had the Laodiceans there, and he had the people at Hierapolis as well. 
Now, I think one of the reasons Christians don't pray for the things that they should and for the people that they should is because they just don't use lists. Lists have been a powerful tool that have been used through the centuries by Christians so that they remember to pray for all the things that they're supposed to be praying about and for the people that they're supposed to be praying about. And I can honestly say this morning that I pray for you all. And it's not because I've got a great memory, which I don't. Although there's one visitor this morning that I don't think, oh, well, I've prayed for him at one point, uh, but haven't regularly lately. But as soon as you visit our church once, you're on a prayer list, one of my prayer lists, and I start praying for you. And if you're a regular member of the church, I'm praying for you. And it's why? Because I use lists. I have lists and lists and lists, lots and lots of different prayer lists. And they, some of them are weekly prayer lists, some of them are daily prayer lists. There's all kinds of lists that I use. And it's so that I can remember you all in prayer as I should. That I don't just leave it like I'd leave entertainment and go, oh, well, what am I going to do today? What am I going to watch today? And they'd be like, who am I going to pray for today? Who, who was at church yesterday? Who could, I, who could I pray for? Who are our members again? That's not how I approach it. And that's not how you should approach prayer. You should see it as work, which means you should be using lists. And of course, if you approach prayer as work, then you will prepare for it in a different way as if you approach entertainment. If you're going to prepare for work, then you will want to build on the work of others. You'll want to build on the work of others. That's the second part of the way that prayer changes our preparation. Our first way is by the use of lists. The second way is by the way that we build on the work of others. If you're going to invent a computer, do you start by inventing electricity first and then moving on from there? No, you build on the work of previous inventions and you build on that and that and that and you keep on going from there. And it's the same with prayer. You can start by making up your own prayers. Okay, go for it. Yes, you're converted, you want to pray, go for it, speak to the Lord. But it is far better to use the prayers of others to build upon as you make your own prayers to the Lord. It's much wiser to use the Bible's prayers, and we just had one from uh, Ezra given to us, Ezra chapter 9, but of course the book of Psalms is such a, 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 a gold mine of prayers so that you know what you can pray for. And you can turn any Bible verse pretty much into prayer. So much of the New Testament is easily turned into prayer. All these commands in chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, you can just flip them and turn them into prayer for others, that people would be obedient to whatever command you've read in whatever verse, and that you would be obedient to whatever command is in whatever verse. Why would we want to do that? Well, it means that we're not wasting our time, asking for things that God would never grant. If you don't build on the work of others... You may be praying for things that are not part of God's will and you're wasting your breath praying for them. Yes, you may agonise in, in prayer for a Ferrari, but you're really wasting your time. And that pain of coming before God and begging him for a Ferrari when there's no mention in the word that you will be blessed with fast cars. It's wise if we approach prayer as work to then build on the work of others. And if we also view prayer as work and it changes our preparation, how else, how else will it change our preparation? Well, we'll get advice for prayer. When you think of your regular work, what do you do with it? Well, you're always looking for advice about it, whether it be from other people or whether it be from 
books, whether it be from podcasts, whether it be from videos, instructional videos about it, you're looking for help for your work. And it should be the same with prayer. If we view prayer as work, we should be looking for advice from others. We should be listening to podcasts and sermons and videos and reading books about prayer so that we're more effective in prayer if we treat prayer as work. Whereas if we treat prayer as entertainment, well, I don't need anyone to tell me what I want to watch on TV. I'm the master of my domain. And it's the same with my prayer. I don't need anyone to tell me how to pray. I've got it all sorted. But if we see prayer as work, labour, painful, intense work, then we will want all the advice we can get. And then fourthly, so we've seen how if we treat prayer as work, that it changes our motivation, it changes our timing, it changes the way we prepare for, work, uh, for prayer. Then lastly, fourthly, how does a work mindset towards prayer help us well, I think we'll get down to the action of prayer. We'll perform the action of prayer. Individually, we will do the work of prayer if we view it as work. If we have a work mindset when it comes to our physical work, whatever other work you do, well, you don't have a nap or browse the internet at your desk while you're in work hours. You actually do the work if you've got a work mindset. I know there are people who think that Working means just being at your desk. But most of you, I think, have grasped the concept that it doesn't just mean showing up to work. It means actually doing something while you're there, doing the work that you're paid to do. You get cracking. You focus your mind and get down to business. And that is the same when it comes to prayer. If we have a work mindset, then we actually do the work of prayer. There are some people, when it comes to work practices, they love making the list. They don't actually like doing the list. It's the same with prayer. Some people love making prayer lists. They get all organised, get a little table together, fill it all in, think of all their relatives, who they've got to pray for, their neighbours, get all the names together. They get uh, books that have lots of prayers in them, they work it all out, and then they don't actually get around to doing the prayer itself. Whereas if we have a work mindset, we will make the lists and then we will pray the lists. Because we know that the lists are just there to help us to pray. They're not the prayer itself. And of course, we will get others to pray for, with us too. We'll perform the action of prayer with others. When it comes to entertainment, to be honest, I'm quite content watching a movie on my own. It's nice to have someone else there, but I'm quite okay watching something on my own. I used to go to the movies by myself. It's quite okay. I like it. But if it's work, if you think of something as work, hard work, don't you like getting other people involved? Don't you like them to bear the burden with you? If it's painful things, if it's entertainment, yeah, it's okay to go on your own to do it by yourself. But when you've got something really hard to do, let's say digging some ditches, isn't it nice to have somebody else there to dig the ditches with you? And if we take that attitude towards prayer, that it is work, it is painful, hard work, don't we want to get other people there with us to help us to do that wrestling with God that we are called to do as his servants? That's what's happening this afternoon. This prayer meeting that we have on Sunday afternoons, it's a work meeting. It's not a time of entertainment. Although I do joke around a bit more at the prayer meeting than I would at the morning service. 
there's a few more laughs there, whereas there's very few laughs at the morning service. I think this is a time of worship and we've got to be respectful of God. But at the prayer meeting, before we pray, that we can often have a few more jokes and a few more interesting things come up. But it is a work meeting. We do get down to the business of prayer. And I don't like it when the, the time for sharing prayer points expands so much that we have very little time to pray itself. Because it is a work meeting. We're there to pray. Yes, we share prayer points. We devise lists together. And then we get down to business together. Do you realise that's what we're doing this afternoon? It's a work meeting. That there are going to be people in that hall this afternoon who are going to be praying for you, that you will stand in the will of God, mature and fully assured. They are working for good outcomes for you, for their benefit, but also for the benefit of you at this church. It's a work meeting this afternoon. Some of us will be painfully wrestling in prayer for your benefit and for the benefit of Australia and for the benefit of the world. Won't you join us? It's hard work. That's why I think so many few people come to prayer meetings. They recognise at the end of the day that it is painful work and it would be much easier to be entertained by something on television. Who wants to do hard work when you don't have to? But that's what we do when it comes to prayer. That's the way we're meant to view prayer. We're meant to be like Epaphras and view it as work, painful work, and then we will actually do it because we have a work mindset. So, viewing prayer as work changes our motivation, changes the timing of prayer, changes our preparation for prayer, and changes, I think, the performance of prayer that you actually get around to doing it. Now, I want to make two comments here at the end. Although prayer is not entertaining, and I've said that again and again, we meant to view it as work, there is a joy in prayer. And I don't want to give a false impression that you can't have joy in prayer. That happiness is never found in prayer. If you just looked at Epaphras, you'd think, well, there's never any fun in prayer. But there is. There is a joy in prayer. And the work situation helps us understand this as well. Despite the thorns and thistles that have come from the fall of man, many people do actually enjoy their work. They enjoy their work. They like it. And some people, yeah, they don't want to retire. They keep going. Because the work is so much fun for them. And it's the same with prayer as well. The work of prayer, despite the flesh screaming against it, despite Satan saying, why are you bothering, and throwing his fiery darts at you, you were speaking with your heavenly Father. You were speaking with your Saviour, the Lord Jesus. You were speaking with the Holy Spirit who has washed you in the Saviour's blood. So, of course, joy will come there, even in the pain. Pain mixed with joy is the experience of prayer. Sometimes it's just pain, and you feel like, I just don't want to be doing this. But with perseverance, you do find that there is joy as you speak with your God and come before him in prayer. That's the first thing I want to put at the end here as a caveat. The other thing I want to put here at the end is I want to make perfectly clear that prayer is work, yes. But prayer is not a work of salvation that gains you salvation. We don't pray in order to earn a heavenly reward. 
We are never heard simply because of our many prayers. That's the way the pagans behave. They babble away, they say prayer, 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 and think that will save them. That is not how salvation comes. We are heard only through Jesus Christ and his precious blood of the cross. The only way you are saved, the only work that saves is Christ's work at the cross. And that is received by repentance and faith. Yes, prayer is involved in the way that you come to God, but there's a trust that there is there, that faith is there, and then you come to God and you confess your sins and experience the forgiveness that comes. We are saved to pray, not pray to save. We are saved to pray, not pray to save. And if you're here this morning and you've been praying in order to be saved, my message for you is repent. Repent of trying to offer your unholy prayers to a holy God in order to be saved. Repent and trust in the holy work of Christ instead. Trust that it's all by Jesus Christ at the cross that you are saved. And then come to him in prayer and respond to the gracious work that he's done for you in saving you through Christ Jesus. And so if you are saved and you're here this morning and you don't pray to earn your salvation, I want to finish with a few questions for you. Do you view prayer as work that God saved you to do? Are you a servant of Christ Jesus? And so you know that prayer is part of your work. It is painful, wrestling, agonising work, but it is your work and you know you're called to do it. Or do you view it as entertainment? Children too. Children, hopefully you've been listening somewhat in the service. Do you view prayer like you view your schoolwork or homework or hopefully better than the way you view your homework or schoolwork, that you view it as something that is far more vital, really, than schoolwork and homework, that you need to do it. Sometimes you can get away without doing your homework, depending on your teacher. But you don't want to get away without praying because you view it as valuable work. Do you see prayer as work so that you're motivated to pray, even if it's painful and you don't feel like it? Or are you waiting for prayer to be more enjoyable before you will do it? If that is you, I can warn you, you'll never get around to prayer because prayer is work. We learn that from Epaphras. Painful work, agonising work, the level of pain that people sometimes gnaw their tongues, according to Revelation. If you're waiting for prayer to be enjoyable, you'll never get there. Do you see prayer as work so that you give time to it, scheduling it in, praying when needs come up, praying always? Do you see prayer as work so that you prepare for prayer with lists, with other people's prayers, prayers from the Bible and getting advice, reading books on prayer, listening to sermons on prayer? Do you see prayer as work so that you actually perform the work of prayer individually, and also corporately with others. Here, I've got a challenge for you this morning. Why don't you ask God to make you an Epaphras? It's a scary thing to consider when you look at him. He was a wrestler in prayer, and he went through much hard pain in prayer, hard work. But God can make you an Epaphras. He made Epaphras an Epaphras many years ago by the Spirit, and he can make you an Epaphras today as well so that you view prayer as work, hard work, but you actually do that hard work, that painful work of prayer, because the Spirit is working in you, so that you do that valuable work 
of prayer. Let's come to God in prayer ourselves now. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who saves us and uses us for your work, including prayer. We confess, O God, that far too often we are not like your servant Epaphras. Help us to view prayer as part of our workload for you so that we're motivated, so that we make time for prayer, so that we prepare for prayer and that we get down to business in our prayers and actually do the hard work of prayer. Make us, O God, like Epaphras. Make us like Jesus Christ, who agonised in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, so that we wrestle in painful prayer for your glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.